Hi, and welcome to Purpose to Perform. I am Dr. Jo Brown, APA titled sports and exercise physiotherapist, mentor and coach. And this is a new podcast dedicated to high performance for anyone who's up for it. Driven by purpose, join me as we dive deep and explore what it takes to be a high performer, integrate and assimilate cutting edge evidence, learn from experienced experts in all aspects of high performance and ultimately inspire your journey into performance. Whether you are an athlete, coach or allied health professional, this podcast is for you. Welcome to my world. Welcome to Purpose to Perform. Let's do this. Hello and welcome. I'm Dr. Joe Brown, sports physio and performance coach. And today I'm super stoked to have with me on the show, Jack Narricott, an Australian skeleton athlete. Now, many of you might even know what that is, but we'll get into that later. But basically, it's one of the scariest sports one can do. So Jackie is a 2018 Olympian and QAS athlete here for Australia, but currently based and prepping for 2022 Beijing Olympics in the UK. So welcome, Jack. Welcome to Purpose hey. to Perform. Thanks for having me. So super stoked to have you on the show, Jack. And I just love speaking to athletes and really getting to know their stories. And, you know, just about every athlete I've ever met has a a story that people don't really get to see. There's all these things that happen behind the scenes that really make athletes who they are. And, you know, the story behind all their successes is a lot of their challenges. So super stoked to have you on the show. And I've picked you on an, for a number of reasons, and one is you do one of the scariest sports I can ever imagine doing. You slide at crazy speeds, and we'll talk about what that actually is, down an icy slope head first. Like, how crazy is that? I, f- I feel like the Winter Olympics is a competition between who does the craziest sport but thinks their sport is normal. Because <laughs> everyone we spoke to at the games was like, are you kidding me? Like, you do, you do the skeleton. Yeah, like... But talking to the aerial skiers, you guys fly six meters in the air. No way. Yeah. That's, that's just like, no, nah, I'd much rather be an inch off the ice. Far safer. I think I'm with you on that one. How fast do you guys actually go? So can you first of all describe like what skeleton is, I guess, because not all people know what skeleton is, like how close you are to the ground, how fast you go, what the whole sport kind of entails. Okay. So basically the easiest way, easiest way to describe skeleton it's take an iced water slide, a boogie board with like metal tubes on the bottom of it, take a running start and dive down it head first. That is Holy cow. Um, yeah, it's so much fun. There's no brakes. Um, our feet are our brakes. Uh, my head is about an inch off the ice, but half the time spends a lot of it on the ice going through the corners because of the G-force. Speeds will hit. Uh, I've got friends who have hit 143 kilometers an hour um i've only gone 139 only 139 between that <laughs> look I, I really want to hit 140 but i'm not sure it's going to happen just with not going back to whistler anytime soon potentially which sucks um but yeah average speeds will be between 120 130 yeah well and how long does a run take depends on the track um so uh, eagles in austria is the shortest and mm-hmm. that's about 53 seconds depending on on ice conditions the longest is saint moritz in switzerland which is natural track and it's between kind of 
108 and 110 again depending on the ice and how it's been been prepared been prepared that year wow and so each course obviously has different turns and all those kind of things is it part of the sport I guess learning the different tracks and how you do you like move your body weight a little bit on do you call it a sled yeah, it's like, yeah. Uh, yeah, so every track is different. Um, there's set guidelines as to roughly what it needs to kind of fall between. But in terms of track makeup, everything's different. Um, and it'll subtly change year to year too. So technically, whilst every track except for St. Moritz is made from a concrete base, kind of similar to the base of an ice skating rink, the, the way they shape it and they build the ice every year changes ever so slightly. So that then changes what we need to do coming into a corner coming out of a corner into a corner to get the most out of the out of the um out of each corner so we go as fast as we can so what is it you actually do when you're saying going into and out of a corner what is that that you're trying to do um so just to steer we use our head shoulders knees and if all else fails we need to turn the side really quickly our feet um the so your head is the most subtle of steers basically if you look where you want to go um eventually your sled will kind of follow that then shoulders and knees. Um, and you do that by, by pushing into the sled and that puts torsion and kind of twists the sled. Um, and on the, our runners, which are basically kind of inch round metal tubes have a really kind of really uh, millimeter wide spine that goes mm. down the back half of the runner. And that's how we steer. So there's, by, by moving our body that puts pressure through that spine and that's how we get grip and that's how the sled turns. So a little bit like pressure when you're snow skiing type of thing as well, like pressuring an edge. Yeah. Yeah. So, Jack, when I first asked you about steering, the first thing that came to mind is you said you led with steer with our head. Yeah. <laughs> that really jumped out at me at how scary that is. And another thing you mentioned uh, was G-forces. And a long time ago I was quite um, lucky to have a really – quite a few conversations with Mark Weber over a period of time and um and he talked about the G-forces in Formula One. And I guess it's not quite a racing car, but, you know, you're not held in by anything else apart from your body on the sled. So tell me about what those G-forces really feel like in real life. Um, I think the most noticeable place that we'd feel G-forces is on our head because our heads hang over the front of our sled. You need really good neck strength, similar to the to F1 drivers, um, to try and keep our heads off the ice. And some people are better at it than others. Some corners are easier than others. The the really high high G force, high speed turns, your head just gets buried. Um, there's no amount of neck strength that can keep your head off the ice. So any form of like vision forward just disappears, and it's all done by by feel and kind of what you can see peripherally. Yeah, well, as a physio, I just can't help but think about your poor neck in that situation. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Should be right. And I'm assuming you have these amazing Kevlar or something helmets you wear. Uh, yeah, about that. They're fiberglass. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the IBSF, so our uh, international governing body, yeah. has, is working with an Italian an Italian manufacturer to get helmets that are slightly better for our head, theoretically. I personally don't like them, but that it's it's just it, it's a different shape. So can like different to what to what I've always slid and I quite like my helmet. It's very, very streamlined and, and fits and just sits sits nicely. So they're they are working on making it safer. But when your head's on the ice at 140k an hour, like 
the safety really is relative, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the one upside though is that for our for our heads to really like hit a wall, something like that, something's gone gone pretty badly wrong. So it's usually it's just the the impact from the the G forces onto the ice directly under our chins that kind of is a bit of an issue. But the rest of it. And I guess it's like the repetitive force, right? Like it's the you know, going to like, I guess when you're in a training block where you're at a track and it's like day after day after day, not that one hit against a wall or whatever. Yeah. It's yeah. A, a lot of the, the micro micro vibrations, even on a really smooth track, um, particularly at, at those higher speeds. And then if the track's not in perfect condition and there's, there's a few bumps, then that also kind of plays, plays into that. But I'm guessing you've built that capacity and resilience to that over time as well. And you work on that strength-wise and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, part of it's also managing your body and your head and, and knowing what your head can, can handle and what and what it can't and not being afraid to say, no, I've got a headache, I feel dizzy, let's pop the brakes a little bit and <laughs> give yourself a day off. Wow. It is a crazy sport. I must admit, like I've, I've always wanted to have a go at these sliding sports. Hasn't happened yet, but I'm about to do a little bit of stuff with the Jamaican bobsled guys. So we'll see. You never know. You've got to try it. So speaking of bobsled, I know you did try bob back in 2011, but then in March you tried the skeleton and you were just hooked. So tell me about the difference kind of between bobsled and skeleton and what made you feel in love with a skeleton compared to the bobsled so bobsled is for for females is a two-person sled so we don't do the most part the the four-man sled and i was a brakeman initially so the person who helps get the sled whose main job is to get the sled off the line sit Mm -hmm. in the back as as weight and then pull the brakes at the end of it um and it was great um because of the the link to uncle paul and him being a double olympian um, i'd always wanted to try it yeah and we'll talk about Um, him in a sec yeah and then curiosity got the better of me and like i'd I'd seen skeleton while i was there and spoke to the coaches it's i think the the idea of me being in control and and being able to for the most part see where i was going and know that it was all on me quite lost plus it felt faster and the the way the the force kind of went through my body it just yeah it was was like was like going headfirst on a water slide which as a kid was what I loved to do so you adrenaline drunky junky outside oh, yeah. of this yeah yeah love roller coasters I can't wait to go skydiving again yeah the the, the faster the better faster adrenaline g-forces bring it give it yeah yeah Every athlete has a journey that normally starts in childhood. And you mentioned your uncle Paul before, and I love the story. It just lights me up. I love amazing stories where and where they start. And so your uncle Paul, from what I understand it, was the first Australian to represent Australia at both winter and summer games, correct? So he was an Olympic sprinter first in Los Angeles. Yep, and then... But obviously the boycott. Yeah. Whole different political story. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, that. and then later he was a bobsledder in 92 at Albertville. So yeah. I'm guessing you were like just born at Albertville. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was too when he went, went out uh, to Albertville. 
I'm guessing like your uncle's journey and your uncle's stories and everything really shaped your dreams and aspirations to be an athlete. Can you tell us a little bit about how that actually did shape your dreams and where you are today really? Yeah, so uh, having Uncle Paul and, and knowing kind of his journey, him, him being an Olympian, I kind of always had the thought in the back of my head. But then when Sydney happened and being a nine-year-old kid watching uh, a home Olympics back in, in Brizzy was it was definitely the, the point that cemented, no, I'm, I'm going to be an Olympic athlete. Ideally, I'm going to be a sprinter was, was what I first had my kind of sights set on. But then mm-hmm. as I got older and... I realized I wasn't fast enough and then tried a whole bunch of other sports from I was a goalkeeper with soccer for, for a little bit and then went back to athletics and happened to be in the right place at the right time for a mate of mine who was like, we, we need someone else to be in the back of the bobsled. Do you want to give it a shot? And that was when the kind of light bulb went, well, Uncle Paul did it. I've always wanted to do it. Yep, let's go. Um, jumped on my first transcontinental, intercontinental flight to Europe. <laughs> um and having Uncle Paul there is is really nice. He's he's awesome to go to if I need if I need a bit of help. He's always been there. It's like no, you can do this, and um, it's it's got to be fun. That was the one of the things that you said from the beginning is if it stops being fun, then get out. Like not every day is going to be fun. Yeah. But if the overall journey isn't fun anymore, then there's, there's no point. And I totally 100% agree with that. And I speak to lots of athletes and I've been involved with lots of different sports over the years. And I now teach quite a lot of young up and coming athletes a little bit about mental skills. And one of the skills is actually just, you know, you've got to really love what you do. Like if you don't love what you do, you're probably doing the wrong sport and maybe there is a different sport for you. You just haven't found the right one. And the other one is around, you know, seeing an opportunity and really going for it and having that like self-belief to be able to take it on. And I think you just mentioned, you know, a couple of things around your Uncle Paul. You've had this person that's been there, done it, who's in your life, who's already this proof that it can happen. And that's like so awesome to have in your back pocket kind of thing is, you know, a special thing that you have that other people don't have. But taking that leap, you know, going, like leaving, I guess, those track and field dreams behind and taking that opportunity. Tell us a little bit about that process because I know there's so many things that go into those moments. And like you said, it was a little bit of a timing thing. And so often it is. I know for myself, so many opportunities have been just like right time, right place and be willing, like you say, to jump on that plane. So tell us a little bit about that process and kind of what you drew on and that time and that transition. I think the biggest driver for me has always been I wanted to be an Olympian. I didn't really care what sport. Like initially watching Sydney, it was, and with Uncle Paul, I'm going to be a sprinter. And then that kind of morphed into, well, maybe like a triple jumper or a long jumper. And then it just kept going as I kept trying more things and going, okay, well, maybe that's not going to work. You know, I think deep down I'd always, I'd always known, like I, I was, I was good as a sprinter and a jumper, but I was never constantly going to national I wasn't like on the verge of making the the Aussie team or any like to be honest anywhere near it so I was always looking for for some other way to get there I knew I could get there um it was a case of just finding the right sport and the right way to do it and then eventually (laughs) we got there 20 years later because I think that's a really important message and I really want like all the listeners listening to get that message because I think so many athletes have this dream, 
to be an Olympian or be good at sport, but don't get to find their sport. Like they give up if they're just not a good swimmer or they give up if, you know, they don't make that one team. And there's so many athletes I've spoken to over the years that have then gone, didn't make one team, but then they've gone and made the Olympics, you know, four years later or eight years later or whatever. So there's a capacity to keep moving as well towards that goal. Yeah, I think it like like any any goal, like the the Olympics is 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 mine for now. But there, if you believe you can get somewhere, there 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 is a way. I remember a teacher once said to me about, and we're looking at university courses. If you don't get the marks you need, well, then there's a million other different ways you, you can go. It's just a case of being prepared to to find them and, and keep looking, and then go, yep. Right, we're going done, <laughs> and make the decision quickly, and go. Yeah, all right, that's that's where we're going, and and be flexible. Yeah, choice and flexibility are two things that we all are living and dealing with right now, um, in yeah. this COVID world. Yeah, and you know, so for so many of us, like you said, you can't go to the Whistler track right now, and you know that choice has been taken away. So tell us a little bit about how I guess your training and lead into 2022 potentially and the qualifying process, I guess, has changed given the current state of the world. Okay, so I'll start with with last year because last year was an absolute mess. <laughs> we, I think I got down to maybe plan G, having like plan A and B being like changed multiple times before we even got further down the list um to like, things were changing so fast we couldn't like races were being cancelled left right and center um europe was you know, being an absolute mess um but then on top of that we had the ibsf saying you need to race um eight races in the two years leading into the olympics which meant that at that time based on what happened previously i needed to get needed to get a race in at some point last year um mm-hmm. so that meant Going to Eagles in Austria, having not slid at all that's, <laughs> that season. This is December, like first, second week of December. Mm-hmm. Five training runs, right, into the race, ticked that race box, and then I went to Korea for three months. Um, sat through hotel quarantine, which is, as you know, so much fun. <laughs> so much fun living the dream as we speak. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then spent three months just sliding and training in Korea which was the best decision ever. I got to stay out of the the mess that and the stress that, that was Europe. Because um, being last year, I would have been on my own. I would have been coach, manager, athlete, physio, and COVID officer and trying to figure out, okay, well, what country is closing next? Can we get to the next race? How's this all going to work? Um, and thankfully this year, it doesn't look like that's going to be quite as bad, but we now have the, joy of trying to get into China in October because <laughs> we haven't uh, for, for every every Olympics if they've built the new track which they have for the last two last three um, then we need to do, need to do a test event to make sure that everything's running well um, mm-hmm. the track and we know how to slide the track from a safety point of view <laughs> let alone trying to go fast the March event was cancelled we're supposed to go in October which will be our first first look at Beijing Fingers crossed that happens because otherwise pff, <laughs> it'll be interesting. Um, but as far as training goes for summer, um, I spent the first three months of lockdown last year training in our apartment. 
um, doing a whole bunch wow. of asymmetrics, which was so much fun. Um, but thankfully, we got access to an athletics track within the first kind of week of lockdown happening, which was an absolute lifesaver. That's amazing, yeah. Um, and then this year, because I didn't trust the UK to stay <laughs> stay out of lockdown, I bought bought weights. So my, my gym is now on, on our driveway and then just going to the track. And it's been it, it's been pretty good. I'm looking forward to getting back onto World Cup and getting that consistent top level racing in, which we we need for qualification anyway. Cause qualification mm. starts this year. Um, but yeah, get get back with friends and hopefully it'll be slightly more like it, <laughs> more like normal. But having, from having seen the schedule, it looks like it's going to be well. It'll be very very heavily Europe based, and then pray that we go to China. Yeah, it's it's been such an interesting time for any athlete, you know, obviously the cancellation of the 2020 games and then, you know, now coming in 2021 and all the, you know, the changes and expectations and rules and COVID practices and all those kind of things. And just my involvement as a physio has just changed immensely just because of like all the different lockdowns and all the different procedures, never mind trying to get a flight um, yeah. and where you have to quarantine and all those processes. And, you know, I've had so many conversations around, you know, people leading into now 2021 Summer Olympics and it, it's going to be a really interesting Olympics and because I previously I thought it was going to be the test of the people that survived lockdown the best, you know, the people that yeah. mentally and physically were able to come out of lockdown the best. Basically people performing just, amazingly all around the globe on different levels in athletics and in all events in track and field and in the pool as well so I think it's actually people have been locked up and they're so hungry to compete they're just bursting at the scene so there's amazing performances coming so even though it's going to look different I think that um there'll still be amazing performances in the summer olympics and I'm I'm guessing the Winter Olympics is going to be the same. You know, everyone's going to burst onto that scene when you guys do get to race and compete properly and there'll be, you know, a lot of really good performances. Yeah, we we were lucky in that um, our most of our 2019-20 season was was done before anything anything really happened. Like we we had a complete season. I know most of like most of the skiers had had a few I think they had they had a few races cancelled, but for the most part, we've only really lost a season. And as far as we're aware, Beijing was kind of never in question. I cannot imagine what the Tokyo guys have gone through. It must have been hell to try and sit there and go, we don't know if we're going and what's what's kind of going on. Um, it's it's going to be different for sure. And I, I kind of feel sorry for people who... This is this is going to be their first either summer or winter Olympics because there's not going to be crowds um, and family can't go and and that sucks. But it's still an Olympics, mm-hmm. so like it's not going to be the same. But you still get to go and represent your country for us. Like putting on on the green and gold with the the rings is the coolest thing in the world. Um, our teams are amazing and it yeah it, it it's not it's not going to be the same village experience and all the rest of it. But you still get to compete. You're still going to be an Olympian. 
And I think it still means, you know, well, I know it still means the same thing to be an Olympian, to call yourself an Olympian. I've just had the pleasure to go through the process of what that means, beach volleyball guys qualifying for the first time in Thailand for 13 years. And I didn't even realise that was a history, but that, you know, just the look on their faces when they qualified and seeing that moment and then knowing they get to wear that shirt with those rings and all the people that have been been behind their stories and just, you know, village being the same or not is still going to be an amazing experience for all those um, Olympians, especially the ones, you know, for the first time. And I think, you know, like you say, for Beijing, and there's only more time for, for them to get their processes sorted. And, um, you know, I think they'll put on an amazing Olympics and, yeah. Yeah. We're, we're also very lucky in that by the time we get to Beijing, just about everyone, probably, or at least all the athletes, We'll, we'll be vaccinated we'll it's it's mostly european countries that are going so they're kind of handling things slightly better than some of the the big summer nations so yeah and there's a lot fewer of us who are trying to get into a couple of different villages too so it's not like we're all trying to cram into one village like they are for tokyo yeah i can't wait to watch bring it on <laughs> i know i'm gonna have mixed feelings but i can't wait to watch as well yeah and I guess I'd love to ask you now, like every athlete has a journey, right? And we talked about that and there's, you know, highs and lows. If you're open to to share with us, I guess, your biggest high and your lowest low, and I just love seeing the connection between the two because quite often there is. It may not be in your case, but... um, No, there there is. Um, I'll start with... Let's let's start, start low and, and then we'll go high. Um, I have good. two. One one performance, one injury. Um, so performance by performance wise, uh, world champs twenty nineteen. We're in Altenburg. Mm-hmm. Where's it's that? Exciting, it's going really well. Sorry. Where's Altenburg? Is that Germany? Uh, yeah, East Germany. Well, yeah. Like, sorry, about half an hour outside of Dresden. Mm-hmm. So yeah, north. Um, and I crashed first round on a corner that I'd been getting been getting right, but then. Uh, had issues leading in with making weight, so trying to um, drop weight and trying to figure out the the stress around was I going to get to the bottom and be disqualified for something silly that I have con- I have complete control over. Crash first run, and that was that was world champs over. And this is quarter four of a nineteen corner track, and just did it again, run through. So at that point, like it was, it sucked because I felt like I disappointed everybody. I'd been starting so well all season. Um, and that that really kind of knocked my confidence to go, mm-hmm. well, it's one corner. It's one mistake. But still, it was, a, it was a very big, big learning curve to go, okay, well, this was all the circumstances that, that led into it. How do we prevent that from ever happening again? Because it was terrible. <laughs> so that was, that was good from that point of view. Um, and then the injury-wise, I had a pretty good concussion in 2018. Um, started like run run one of the season, smacked my head in the corner in in Calgary in Canada uh, on a on a bump, and didn't diagnose it initially because I, I thought it was just a I've hit my head like it it'll be okay. Couldn't look at a screen. Walking made me dizzy, gave me a headache, like classic concussion symptoms. Mm-hmm. But when you're on your own 
there's no support around you because that was what was happening at that point. Um, pre-season, no physios. Like, all right, I'll just keep mm. going. Slid most of that season with kind of concussion-ish symptoms, just ignoring it the whole way um, until we got to Eagles in Austria again. And it, it was was bad. I was kind of like unusually uh, emotional, which Eagles and I have a tendency to not, to not, get, not get along, but mm-hmm. it was kind of off, off the charts emotional and then we went to St. Moritz in Switzerland which is the smoothest track in the world and I was dizzy after a run I wasn't responding to questions um like kind of the whole glazed look of my face so they pulled me out of that went home couldn't walk around town like a flat town without feeling drunk oh wow um, and missed the rest of that season so missed five world cups world champs on my best tracks and it took me four months to be allowed back to, to full training just for seeing a vestibular physio who, without a doubt, saved my career. Um, and the, the silver lining of that is that I got to go through and go, well, okay, I need to look after my head more. That's, that's kind of simple and, and, and all of that. But it gave me a chance to kind of plan for life outside of sport to well, at least begin to that because we didn't know – when, when I got back on ice in that October, whether whether I would be okay, mm. um, so it was scary, <laughs> not not knowing. Um, but then ever since then, I have slid so much better. For whatever reason, it's now like we we sorted out my my eyes now now work better. That was something that the vestibular physio figured out was that my depth perception was out because my eyes were were tracking really and like converging and doing stuff that. They probably that we never would have picked up, but suddenly it's like, oh well, that makes sense, and that makes sense, and a whole bunch of kind of light bulb moments went. Oh, okay, well, there's right, always we, a reason. And we like for for ages we've been trying to figure out how to get my left glute to to fly better, and all of a sudden James, who was the vestibular physio, was like, well, sniff lemongrass through right like a through right nostril, and we'll see what that does. Instantly, it was like that electrode that we've been saying if we can just put an electrode in my brain then <laughs> it'll fly off so ever since then we've found that that electrode and that's kind of helped help my push and yeah the whilst both the concussion and walls sucked um they've both kind of been light bulb moments where eventually we've come out of it and it's been okay Yet to go back to Altenburg, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> so firstly, I just love light bulb moments and I love that that's how you term it and I live my life for light bulb moments with athletes. So for me, the moments that I get to be a part of aren't the ones that happen in those actual performance moments. They're the ones that happen outside like you had with your vestibular physio and I just love that and I love that spoken like a true high performer and true high performance athlete that you just – totally went straight to the learning like where's the learning where's the learning where's the learning um and when that, you talk that takes a while to get into that mindset I will be the first to admit that it's taken me a long time to not be so emotional emotionally attached to to, to to things and go okay all right it happened you can be sad for a bit now now what, what are we gonna learn from this yeah it's it's reset and let's go again how do we learn how do we learn how do we be better 
And I think it's yeah. the choices. It's always the choices that we make in those moments where we're challenged. So I say it's not at, we're celebrated as athletes by our successes, but it's our challenges that define us. And it's all about those challenges and what you choose to do with those challenges, whether you choose them to like I'm done or I'm out or you go, you know, choose to keep finding a solution. And so many times, like you found with your vision and with the whole neck stuff, the stibular stuff, was all connected to everything else that wasn't working and just, you know, finding the gaps in people's performance is just so exciting. And it's, But it's not until you have those moments of breakdown that you get the opportunity to find them. So that's yeah. the cool thing about elite sport in my world. <laughs> yeah. So super cool. And the other thing you mentioned was about when you crashed at World Champs and, you know, there was you're worried about what everyone else would think and all those kind of things. And you had that chance to really reflect on confidence. And I think that's such a huge thing as well, because if you don't like have confidence, you're always setting yourself up to fail, but you've got to find a place as a elite athlete to like have, you know, a failure or something that you see where you're getting feedback and then still have confidence. You can go out and do it again. Yeah. I, I owe my sports like, rich fire a, a lot for that too because so that was my first season back off my concussion and we said at the beginning just getting through the season without any concussion issues was going to be a tick so despite the fact that world sucked and it was my worst performance in years to then take the step back a few weeks later and go okay it's okay you're still sliding for starters nothing went wrong for, nothing went wrong from your head You've had your best season on World Cup until that point. It's fine. One race doesn't make you a, a terrible athlete. You're you're taking the right steps. It, it next year's gonna be fine. Yeah. And one race will never define you either. Yeah, exactly. Unless it's the Olympics and you win, in which case it kind of does. <laughs> yeah, well. And if you talk to Brad Bree, you'll probably say one yeah. race does define you. So speaking of winter sports, because I like I love winter sports, I'm super passionate about it. And I think in Australia, like it's such a minority, right? Like there's I like I've worked with winter sports and I know there's not a lot of funding and there's not a lot of support. And like you say, you're quite often traveling by yourself and all those kind of things. But there's still I think amazing opportunities for Australian athletes to get involved with winter and sports if you know, they want to, and like you did, you kind of found a place in winter sport when you couldn't find your place elsewhere. So I guess I'd like to ask you, like, if there's listeners or people know athletes out there that are trying to find their sport and maybe would be interested in giving winter sport a go, is there a place like here in Australia they could reach out to or look into that kind of stuff? Um, Skiing by Water Australia would be a good place to start as far as the um freestyle skiing goes mm-hmm. so all quite a lot of the aerial skiers came from gymnastics because they they've got that body awareness and can already do a, a lot of the flips there's just mm-hmm. a case of teaching them to ski which is a lot harder than it sounds <laughs> <laughs> and then landing um, after you've done a three rotations in the air or whatever yeah yeah um but yeah getting in touch with, with them but i kind of want to want to try it i'm sure they're always on the lookout for for new athletes um from our point of view, contacting Bob Slade's girls in Australia, either through Instagram or email or, you know, that we need more girls, please. I'm the only female skeleton athlete. We need more. How? I don't want, to, I want everything to, to end with me. It's, it's such a good sport. But 
you just you need to get on plane and I think that's that's the biggest hurdle we've got right now from a particularly from a sliding point of view to to really even try pushing you've got to get on a plane mm. um and go halfway around the world or even the South Korea is the closest push track we push track we've got but if you think you can give it a shot why not how cool it's, it's, to have a goal a goal to have like three or four of you at the next Olympics after Beijing that would be pretty cool yeah like so initially when I came into the program there was I was one of four or five of us um so to, to get back to having having girls and we could start to build a program again would be phenomenal. That's a pretty awesome goal. Maybe one day. <laughs> push track. Next thing, next thing on the list push is track. push track. Yeah. The the skiers have got their the water ramps in Brizzy, which is amazing for them. Next thing is push track. Is there talk of that happening? There's there's been talk off and on about it for for ages. It's I think it's a case of finding the right place for it to be. Um, okay. I mean, in my head, in my head, Brizzy makes sense. It's, <laughs> it's, it's 24 degrees all year round. Like the, for the, the, the time of the year when we're home, Brizzy, Brizzy makes sense. It could hardly rain during, during winter and it's warm. It's good. Um, and they're not that expensive to build. Um, it's just, just finding, finding the, the land that I guess is the biggest issue. Yeah, I think you've got some letters to write. <laughs> so it's been so good having you on the show and I'm sure there's been some bits of gold for our listeners out there. So I like to finish all my podcast recordings with five quick questions. So the whole idea is you say the first thing that comes into your head. Um, yep. So first one, three words to describe you as an athlete. Determined, resilient, powerful. Determined, resilient, powerful yep got all those in the conversation (laughs) what is the little voice in your head firstly say to you on a hard training day and then what does it say to you on a competition day hard training day uh this is this is for Beijing keep going it'll all be worth it on race day relax have fun trust yourself you know your body know, knows what to do yeah just kind of getting back to basics yeah yeah I love um Mike Glover who is um Michael Jordan's like trainer and he talks about going but like it should be instinctual it's just automatic and I think you know the the best performers in the world in any sport it's just they do what they do just they just execute they didn't have to think about it yeah, raise raise days for, for switching the switching the brain off and just letting it all flow. Yeah, awesome. Your biggest inspiration, Anamir's Uncle Paul. Yeah, Anamir's is and, definitely and, a legend. And I'll include my husband Dom in that too, because he's a, he's a sliding athlete too. Yeah, he won a bronze medal in Pyeongchang for the Brits, though, right? Yeah, yeah, he's British. <laughs> I will let him have that. <laughs> favorite training speed work uh, like on the track on the on the track yeah yeah the that's the the sprinter in me coming out yeah and you said that with a big huge smiley face so you actually really must love it and finally what is performance to you achieving my potential in whatever format that eventually looks like 
being able to look myself in the self in the mirror at the end of the day and go, okay, well, I did everything I could. Um, you can't control the outcome as much as we would like to and try to. Yeah, it's whatever whatever my potential happens to be. I want to achieve that. Amazing. I definitely think you'll get whatever you put out there. Fingers you crossed. This. Yeah, we'll we'll get there. Everyone. So what? So what? Some um, from here on in to like your road from Beijing is like planning on going to China in October and then. Yeah. So from here, um, we've got the rest of summer uh, training. So hopefully, get start pushing soon. As soon as my sprint trip lets me, lets me on the, we've got a, a wheelie sled so I can push it on the track. Can I plan? Hopefully, get on the plane to China on October four. We've got three weeks there. Come back two weeks off, and then it's straight into World Cup. Um, we've got five races back to back. A week off for Christmas. Three more races. Then that's qualifying done. So qualifying ends June at uh, June, <laughs> January fourteen. Mm-hmm. Orders are announced on the sixteenth. Teams are named like kind of the eighteenth ish, and then we're on a plane at some point. We don't. We're not quite sure exactly when. We've seen the schedule, and we need to be in there. And we've got training two days before the opening ceremony. Okay. And then we compete that first that first oh sorry actually the the middle weekend so eight world cups and we're in Beijing it's gonna come around so quickly it already has like Pyeongchang feels both yesterday and a million years ago so to think that we're in Olympic season now it doesn't quite can be like no 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 it's it's like it's next season right we got we've got ages wrong (laughs) but it's okay I think the thing for me is because I've kind of worked across both winter and uh, and summer Olympic sports is like the fact that they're in one year, like that's doing my head in that we're, we're going into Tokyo right now. And then, you know, in a couple of months, it's, you know, winter Olympics. So it's, that's, I think they've thrown it off for a lot of people, but. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Which is, is, is good for, like, from a motivation point of view, it's really cool. I, I love watching the, the Summer Olympics and getting motivation out of that. Like, okay, we can do this. But for it to then turn around and go, all right, well, it's, it's your turn in six months, not 18 months. Is yeah, yeah, like cool. reset, reframe, back to you again. So Yeah, I feel sorry for the organisers. Like anyone at the AOC trying to organise two Olympic teams within six months must be absolute chaos. Yeah, crazy. Well, thanks so much for your time. You've been amazing and um, can't wait to see what happens in Beijing. We might have to have you on the show again after Beijing and tell us what it was like. Sure. Easy done. And, <laughs> and we, can, we can plan the four girls at the Winter Olympics after that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. <laughs> Before I go, don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to a podcast and give it a rating. That way you won't miss out on the next episode. If you have feedback or an idea for our podcast, you can contact us at purpose, the number two perform on Insta or Facebook or email purpose, the number two perform at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Remember, performance is not a passive experience. This podcast is produced by the Brisbane Podcasting Centre. Thanks for listening.